makes you want to go out to the woods right now, doesn't it? Well, good morning. My name is Craig Nisley. It is a privilege and a joy to be in this awesome place because Genesis Church is an awesome church. Um, turn to someone next to you and say, you're awesome. Y'all did it. That's awesome. <laughs> Pun intended. And uh, uh, speaking of awesome, I want to um, praise uh, your lead pastor, uh, Pastor Paul. Uh, this man is a man who loves Jesus, is a man who loves you, loves his family. He's a man of character. And uh, can we just thank Paul? Uh, I, I take it very seriously that he would invite me to come here today, and he's back from vacation, so you have relaxed, Paul, and uh, he may even rap for you later. I don't know what that's all about, but he might. So uh, I have a very interesting and crazy life. My wife is here, Nikki, and she'll tell you the same thing. I'm a church planner, and I have three little boys. Hudson is our oldest. He's nine. We have then identical twins. You heard that right. Graham and Ty, they're five years old. My house is crazy. You can pray for me even right now. And uh, I love my kids. And they wear me out in the name of Jesus, but I love my kids. But I, t I tell them all the time because I love them, guys, I love you so much. And no matter what you do, and even when you wear me out, I love you. Well, just like a couple weeks ago, Tyler, one of the twins, who's kind of our resident goofball, resident comedian, I said, Tyler, did you know daddy loves you so much? And without missing a beat, he said, yeah, 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 you love us, blah, blah, blah. And, and I just started laughing because that's Tyler. He had this huge smile on his face. He's a goofball. And I thought about that. And I thought, that is a great illustration of how I am and how we are with the Heavenly Father because we're like, hey, God, I know you love me. I know you love the world, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's kind of like we've become deaf to the idea that God is love. Don't you think so? Don't you think sometimes we become numb to love? Uh, I like to call it that we have this disease called love deficit disorder. I don't know if you can get a, a pill for that. But... We struggle to experience and appropriate God's love for us and to love other people, don't we? Listen, some of you here today, you're struggling with love. Because of that, you struggle with uh, acceptance. There are people right now in this room, you look in the mirror, and at best, you see someone not worthy. And at worst, you see someone hideous. And because you struggle with acceptance, you struggle with love. There are people in here right now, you struggle with approval. You think that somehow you have to earn God's love. You have to do more and more and more good things that somehow God will look down and say, finally, he or she is doing enough. It's kind of like you're a gerbil on a wheel. I asked this in the first service. Do people still have gerbils? When I was a kid, we had gerbils. And they were on this week. And so some of you are here today and you feel tired because you're seeking approval because, listen, you struggle with love. And then this is for all of us. We struggle also with apathy. 
And, and goodness gracious, this week you turn on the TV and you hear about all the stuff going on, uh, racial injustice and violence, and it's overwhelming. I don't know about you, I watched the TV, I didn't know what to do. And, and all of Friday, I was just in this funk, and, and I just realized, like, in this nation, we have apathy, don't we? But listen, in the church, we have apathy. We struggle to love other people, and we struggle to love people who are far from God. I get it. So a couple years ago, I was going to a pastor's conference because in Atlanta, Georgia, because someone had to do it. And I, I get on the flight, and look, I have one rule when I fly. Leave me alone. Are you with me? Put in my earbuds, you know, I get my phone out, I play a game, maybe read a book. And on this flight, sure enough, I'm wanting peace, and down comes the aisle. Down the aisle comes this woman, a 40-something woman, provocatively dressed. She's attractive, and she is a talker. She makes her, can you see, she's making her way down the aisle, and sure enough, on this entire flight, she makes her way into my row and sits right next to me. And I'm like, there goes my peace. And we, we take off, and within a few minutes, we hit turbulence, and no one likes turbulence. I don't like turbulence. The plane is shaking. And in a few minutes, I begin to hear a murmuring. I, I got my earbuds in. I'm just trying to, you know, mind my business. I hear murmuring. And then the plane shakes more. And then all of a sudden, within a minute, there's like a full-blown panic attack not right next to me. Like, this girl is freaking out, and the entire plane is looking at her, and they're looking at me. What do you do? I turn to her, and I say, excuse me, can I help you? And I wasn't ready for what she said next. She said, can you hold my hand? <laughs> Are you serious? I didn't say that. Now, now, mind you, I'm a pastor going to a pastor's conference. I went to Dallas Seminary. I had no classes for this. And I'm happily married. I turned to her, and I did the only thing I knew to do. I took her hand. And within a few minutes... The plane, the, the turbulence subsided. She began to relax. I took my hand back. And then a funny thing happened. This woman who was bothering me began to open up. She began to share about her mom who had just gone into a, a home because she was struggling. She began to tell me how her favorite pet had just died. She began to talk about how lonely she was. She went on and on and on and on. And as she shared that with me, I promise you this, the blinders began to fall from my eyes. And for the first time on that flight, this person next to me wasn't a problem. She was a person. And for the first time, I felt ashamed and as I walked off that flight, up the ramp into the airport, I felt the tug of God say to me that very day, Craig, I love that woman. I came for her.
In that day, I came face to face with my apathy, my self-centeredness, because I struggle with love. So here's the question on the table this morning. How do we overcome love deficit disorder? Because there's not a pill for it, okay? How do we overcome the, yeah, yeah, you love us, blah, blah, blah? And today I have the privilege, the joy to talk to you about this idea that God is a God of love. Uh, Here at Genesis in the summer, you've been going through a series, The Father Is, a series of attributes. This is my favorite. The Father is love. And today we're going to focus on the person of Jesus Christ in a story found in Luke 19 because Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. Uh, I I can't wait. And you're going to see two twin truths that are going to help you and help me overcome love deficit disorder. Are you ready? Let's dive in. And uh, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 19, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter 19. And here we see the first truth to overcome love deficit disorder. And it's very important. Listen, you must be convinced that Jesus really really, really loves people. You have to be convinced that Jesus loves all people. He loves you, and he especially loves people far from him. Did you know that? And we're gonna see that today in our story where you're gonna meet this very interesting and notorious sinner. Now, as you turn there to Luke 19, let me kind of give you some background. Jesus Christ is coming to the end of his public ministry. He's on the precipice of going to Jerusalem where he's gonna die on a cross to show us the extent of his love. Before he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus comes to the ancient city of Jericho. And now we meet literally the most interesting man in the world, not in a Dos Equis commercial. Enter Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. And what you're gonna see in our passage are a couple of observations about Jesus' love for Zacchaeus. Here's the first observation, and it's a problem. Because listen, Zacchaeus is a world-class sinner. Like the Olympics are coming, he would have a gold medal in being a sinner. And and so we see in verse 2, it says this, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, the name Zacchaeus literally means righteous or pure, which is pretty funny because you're going to find out he's anything but, okay? It's ironic. And then watch this. It says he was a what? Chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, Now, stop there. Immediately, Zacchaeus has two things working against him. Here's number one. Zacchaeus has a really bad job. And and you're here today. Some of you are like, no, Craig, I have a bad job. I promise you Zacchaeus has a worse job than you. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. This is the only place we see this in the Gospels is right here, meaning he led other tax collectors. He headed a taxation department in the the region of Jericho. Now, 
the IRS in America, right? People have a hard time. I, hopefully, you know, if, if you work for the IRS, you, you don't feel bad about this, but people have a hard time with the IRS, don't they? Listen, they hated tax collectors. And so because he's in Jericho, because he's near a major trade route, he was wealthy, it was lucrative. It was a problem. He had a bad job. But he had a second problem. He's a crook. Like, he's shady. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were hated because they would take money from their friends, from their neighbors, from other people. They would take it, give it to the Roman government who was in power, and they would take money for themselves. They were crooks. So listen, people hated Zacchaeus. You would not invite Zacchaeus to your house in Jericho. Okay, do you get the picture? Frederick Beekner sums it up well when he says this. He's a sawed-off little social disaster with a bank, big bank account and a crooked job. That's Zacchaeus. It's a problem. But here's the second observation. Watch Jesus' response to this shady, sawed-off sinner because it's not what you would expect. It's not how we would treat Zacchaeus uh, because this, this sinner, Zacchaeus, could not wait to see Jesus. Now, in verse 3, we realize Zacchaeus has another problem. Zacchaeus was not tall enough to ride rides at King's Island. I grew up like five minutes from King's Island. He, he was not tall enough to ride the vortex. And then we see this in verse 4. This is awesome. So it says, Zacchaeus ran on ahead, and he climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see who? Jesus. Since Jesus was coming that way. Can you picture this? This sawed-off little uh, a shady tax collector who couldn't get on the vortex at King's Island climbs up a tree to see who? Have you had your caffeine this morning? Jesus. And, and for some of you, this is where you start humming the, the old song. You ever know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the, he wanted to see. You guys are phenomenal. <laughs> Me, not so much. He climbs up a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And then in verse 5, watch this. Can you see this? In verse 5, Jesus' passion for him jumps off the page. I love this. Listen, when Jesus reached the spot, what spot? Now, the Jesus parade is coming down the streets of Jericho. What spot? The spot where this little sinner that everyone hates is up in the tree. Jesus comes to that spot, and he, it says he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Listen. This is shocking. This is incredible. 
because in a town where no one would touch Zacchaeus, no one would talk to Zacchaeus, no one would ever invite themselves to, their, to his house, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who spun the galaxies into existence, who was about to go to the cross, where does he want to go? To Zacchaeus' house. It's the only place in the Gospels where Jesus actually invites himself to someone's house. By the way, don't do that. Jesus can do that. Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. Do you understand how incredibly shocking this is? It's stunning because Zacchaeus is a what? He's a sinner. Jesus passionately loves people. Do we get that? Like, Jesus loves people. And maybe you're here today and you feel unlovable. You feel unworthy. You feel like you need to seek approval. Listen to me right now. Jesus loves you. That our God is a God of love. As a matter of fact, at the end of this whole story, uh, it says, uh, it sums up in, in verse 10, for Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the what? The lost. And Jesus' ministry proved that he would hang out with lepers, with prostitutes, with the unclean, with tax collectors like, with, like Zacchaeus. Why? Because he loved them. I love what John says in 1 John 4.10. I think there was a slide on this earlier in worship. It says this, that in this is love. Not that we love God, but what? God loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. To, he's he's going to die on a cross for our sins. And I, just a few verses later, I love what John does. He sums it up. He says, God is love. God is love. Love defines our God. God is a God of love, and he loves you. So here's the question. Do you know that? Today, do you know how much God loves you? Better yet, are you experiencing that love today, right now? Did you know God loves you? Did you know that God loves all of us? I love what Brennan Manning, one of my favorite writers, Brennan Manning said this, my deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn it or to deserve it. Like God loves us. Isn't that good news? And understanding his love makes all the difference. And I hope we let that sink in. And, and by the way, that's why I'm planting a church in Bloomington, Indiana. I planted a church. God called me to do, again, do it again. You know, I had a steady paycheck. The church was growing. We loved it. Why are we doing this again other than I'm crazy? Because God 
loves people, and he wants us to reach Bloomington. Uh, I've heard this said repeatedly. Uh, If if you've been in Bloomington, went to IU, I've heard this so many times. Craig, Bloomington is awesome. It's beautiful. But it's dark, and it's broken. Did you know that? By the way, all the Purdue fans out there, like, I've been telling people that for years. It's a very dark place, right? But listen, Bloomington is absolutely broken. As a matter of fact, did you know Bloomington is a place of great poverty and social injustice? Did you know that? Did you know that Bloomington is one of the poorest cities in the state of Indiana in the entire nation? It has a poverty rate of 39%. I met with a pastor not that long ago who's been there forever, and I I asked him, what is the biggest social need of Bloomington? Without skipping a beat, he said, homelessness. Homelessness. I fell out of my chair. In Bloomington, where there's this world-class university, homelessness It's a place that has addiction and poverty and people struggling to make it, and there are homeless people moving about the entire city. It is a broken place. But listen, I believe and our team believes that Jesus wants to heal that broken place because Jesus loves Bloomington. And did you know that Bloomington is also a place of great spiritual darkness and confusion? There are over 80,000 people in Bloomington, most of whom are very far from God. It's a place full of skeptics and atheists and people who hate the church, been burned by religion. My wife uh, just last week had lunch with a woman from Afghanistan. They've been here in Bloomington for years. Her husband is a a professor um, at IU. He's an atheist. She's a nominal Muslim. And when my wife reached out to her, when Nikki reached out to her, She was blown away, this woman. She said, no one has ever reached out to me to be my friend. And she talked about how lonely she is. And my wife, Nikki, shared the love of Jesus with her. And then you realize that's Bloomington. It's a place filled with people like that. But we know this, Jesus loves Bloomington. Listen, what gets me up in the morning, why I'm planting this church, is I passionately believe that Jesus is the only hope for Bloomington. He's the only hope for our communities. He's the only hope for this nation, by the way, which is going through chaos. Jesus is the only hope. Why? Because he loves people. And that's good news. That's the first thing we have to be convinced of if we're going to overcome our love deficit. But there's a second truth, and I love this. Not only does Jesus love people, Jesus loves to change lives. Did you know God's love does something to people? He changes people. And in our story, this sinner, Zacchaeus, will never be the same again. So in verse 8, Zacchaeus and Jesus and his disciples are at Zacchaeus' house. They're watching the colts. They're, they're eating barbecue. You know, they're hanging out. And I love this. Watch verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, the sinner, this man everyone hated, he looked up and he said, Look, Lord, here 
and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And you're like, well, okay, what does that mean? Listen, it means that Zacchaeus right now is a different dude. Zacchaeus has been changed. We know that because he's giving half his possessions to the poor. Right before this story, there's this, this story, this account of this guy named the rich young ruler. Kind of a bummer of a name, but that's what the gospel writers say. He's this rich young guy. And Jesus says, awesome, dude, you want to follow me? Great, give your possessions to the poor, then come follow me. Then what happens? This man says, I have a lot to lose. He turns around and he walks away. You ever read that story? Now we see this sinner, this dude no one likes, that's cheated people all around here. And this dude is giving money hand over fist. He's giving half his possessions to the poor in contrast. Why? Because he's a different guy. And then it says, I love this, he, he's giving fourfold restitution. You're like, big deal. What does that mean? In Jewish law, like you go to Leviticus, you'll see this. If I take money from you in Jewish law, I would, I, I would be uh, called to give you back the entire amount plus one-fifth on top. Does that make sense? The entire amount, one-fifth on top. What does Zacchaeus give? Four times. Why? Because Zacchaeus has been changed by the love of Jesus. He's a different guy. And it sums up at the end of the story where we just realize that Zacchaeus has been saved, where Jesus boldly declares, today salvation has come to this house. And this story, guys, makes it abundantly clear that Jesus loves to change lives. God is in the business of changing people. And maybe you're here today and you know someone who feels like they're a lost cause, like that person will never respond to Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that? My dad was like that. You're like, what's the use? Or maybe you know someone who's skeptical and antagonistic about the gospel and you're like, what? What can I do? Or maybe you want to invite someone to church sometime, and you're like, but I'm kind of scared. This story should give you good news, should be encouraging to you, because Jesus can change anyone. And it's a reminder that he is in the business of changing lives. I love John 3, 16. Um, people call this the football verse. You see it on signs at games at times. I grew up hearing this says this, for God, what? Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him and what he was about to do on the cross, they would not perish but have what? Like everlasting life. That our God loves people and he wants to change their lives. Listen, that reality is, is our vision for planting Grace Church Bloomington. We say it this way, our vision is to transform the streets of Bloomington with stories of God's grace through a multiplying movement of passionate people. All that to say a couple of things. One, we are passionate about transformation. 
Like, we are going there not to just play church. We want to transform Bloomington. We believe the gospel should change entire cities and neighborhoods and states and countries. Do you believe that? We believe the gospel should intersect medicine and, and the university, and it should intersect poverty and injustice in every part of the streets of Bloomington. And we are going there because we don't want Bloomington to be the same. So we're going to partner with other churches, other ministries, and we're going to pray that God's kingdom would advance in Bloomington. We bleed this. And we're also passionate in our vision to hear stories of God's grace. I can't wait to hear these stories. I, I, I can picture the guy in Bloomington, the dude with tats up and down his body, you know, with piercings in different places, who hasn't been in church in 25 years, who hates the church. I can't wait for that guy to find Jesus. Can you see him? I can't wait for the couple in our neighborhood who fights every day on, just on the verge of divorce. Their house is full of hate. I can't wait for that couple to be surprised by the grace of God and their lives to be turned upside down. I can't wait to see that. Can you see him? I can't wait for that student who gets hammered every Friday night at Kilroy's or Nick's or other places in the city and their life is like going downhill. I can't wait to see that student rise out of the baptismal with their hands lifted high because Jesus has changed them. Can you see it? Like, I'm addicted to this. This is our passion. This is our vision. That's why we're doing this, because we believe that Jesus loves them, he loves Bloomington, and he wants to change their lives. And I'll just say this to you. We need your help. Pray for us. But we also need your help. Tell people about Grace Church Bloomington. If you have friends, if you have coworkers, if you have a student that's going there, tell them there's a church, a life-giving church called Grace Church Bloomington that's gonna reach people far from God. It's coming, it's gonna launch in February of 2017. You need to check this out. We'd love to talk to that person. But number two, this is how you can help us. And maybe God right now is tugging on you a little bit. Don't ignore that. Maybe God's calling you to serve on our team. You don't need to move to Bloomington. If you want to, let me, I promise you, it's a great place, okay? You don't need to move there, but you can help us for a season. You can drive down back and forth for a few months, help us to get this church off the ground. I promise you this, there's like 30 people from Grace Church doing that right now. I promise you this, you won't regret it because we are about to see Jesus change lives. It, Bloomington will never be the same again. And this morning, I want you to know this. God is a God of love. God is a God of love. And he loves you. He adores you. He loves all people, and he wants to change lives. Isn't that good news? That's the best news in the world. And I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with acceptance, approval, or apathy, let his love change you. And I want to close with a story 
of a tragedy. And as I share this story, my hope and my prayer is that God would speak to you about his love for you and for other people. Uh, A couple months ago, or a month and a half ago, right after Mother's Day, right after graduation on May 12th, a young woman in Bloomington named Sheridan Halloran took her own life. This woman, this young woman with lots of promise, a bright future, was 22 years old. She was born in Indianapolis. She attended Bloomington South High School. She had just graduated from IU. She had a 376 GPA from IU. She was selected as one of six Fulbright English assistant fellows. This summer, she was supposed to teach English in South Korea. Sheridan had a bright, bright future ahead. She was gifted in art. She was gifted as an athlete. She loved to swim. She loved to run. Listen, it's a tragedy. And then I read her obituary, and it broke my heart. It says that Sheridan had a wicked sense of humor. She was delightfully quirky. I love hearing that. That's, that's a little piece of who Sheridan was. She was exceptionally good with the old and the young. She tutored struggling readers, supervised other tutors. And then this, this cut me to the core. Sheridan's left-behind communication evidence that she struggled mentally for years and wrongly believed there was no hope for her to ever think differently. And then she wrote that she had never been honest with anyone around her, and it said, this, this hit me as a dad. She is survived by her heartbroken family and friends, her parents, Jennifer and Kevin Halloran, her sister Delaney, her brothers Griffin, Riley, Evan, Aiden. She had a family. And her grandparents, George and Phyllis Halloran, Terry Halloran, and Jim Weikert. And you ask why. I, we'll never fully understand why Sheridan did this. It's a tragedy. It's heartbreaking. My heart goes out to them. I'm sure as you hear this, yours does. But I can't help but think this. This is why we must experience the love of God. This is why we must share the love with those who are hurting, those who are far from him. And I can't help but think this. What if... What if there had been a body of people surrounding Sheridan in her dark days that that said, you know what, you're not alone. There is a God who loves you. We will be with you, and we are going to help you through this. What if that had happened? What if there was a church that had been there with other people of God to say, we are going to walk through the valley with you? Would that have changed anything? We'll never know. But I can't help but think that's the power of his church All I know is this. We struggle with love. We struggle with the blah, 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 with love deficit disorder. All I know is this. Brennan Manning said it best. I'm I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I've done nothing to deserve it. I've done nothing to earn it. And friends, may that be what wakes us up today. Because listen, he really loves you. Will you pray with me? 
And uh, we're going to worship here in a second. But just, just for a moment, in the spirit of worship, in the spirit of prayer, would you call out to this God of love in your own way, in your heart, and just say, God, I want to know, I want to experience that love in my life today. Would you call out to him? Just say, I want to experience that love. I want to be changed by that love. And would you also just call out to him and say, Jesus, would you change people in my life? Would you change this community? Would you change Bloomington? Would you change Dallas and Baton Rouge, Louisiana and Minnesota? Would you, would you change this country? Would you change lives? Because we need you. Heavenly Father, you are a God of love. We are in awe of the fact that you love us. Even when we sin and we turn our backs on you, you love us. Your love for us is beyond our comprehension. And all we can say is thank you. And I pray today that you would awaken us again to the love that God so loved the world. And he so loved me that he sent Jesus. We thank you for that. Change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people say, amen.